Good morning, everybody. It's great to have a full house here this morning. Just a reminder, um, we start a second service. It'll be uh, just like this one, maybe a little more free-flowing, but the same band, the same message at 11 o'clock starting October 4th. So for those of you that get up at 5 in the morning and have an, a four-hour prayer time and you miss the 9 o'clock service, you can come at 11. Um, I thought that was funny, but whatever. <laughs> My name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden, and it's good to have you here. And we're continuing this series called Move Over. It's going to be a nine-month series, kind of looking at Old Testament passages and relating them to the, uh, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And the theme is prepare the way of the Lord. And so we kind of took a little more modern approach to it and said, move over. And you can see the picture there with the, with the crosses in the rearview mirror. And, and the hope is that over the next few months that we'll help you learn some of the things you need to do to make room for Jesus in your life. Because there are a lot of things that crowd out Jesus in our life. Our schedules, our time, our sin, our family, broken relationships, all types of things crowd out Jesus. And we're going to give you some ideas of ways to make room for Jesus. Today the passage is in Genesis 18, 9 to 15, and also Genesis 21, 1 to 7. I've titled today's message, Weak Links and God's Grace. Weak Links and God's Grace. So I'm just going to kind of give you the uh, synopsis of the story in the first part here. Basically what's happened is God has gone to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm making you a promise. I'm making you a covenant, and I promise you that your seed will bless all nations. You're going to have a son, and your seed will bless all nations. The problem is Abraham's wife, Sarah, is 90. She's old. And so as a matter of fact, in Scripture, he's, this is what happens, right? So when Sarah hears about this promise that God is going to do this and God's going to start this covenant of grace with Abraham, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my husband or my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. And so basically, just kind of give you an understanding of what's happening here. God has made this incredible covenant with Abraham. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you mercy. And that gr I'm going to work in your heart and life. And that work is going to be so amazing, it's going to spread and impact all nations. And one of the ways I'm going to do this is to show my grace and mercy by giving you a son. And Sarah says, well, I don't know how you're going to fulfill your promise with me. I'm the weak link. I can't have a kid. And then Genesis 21, 1 through 7, I'm just going to read it to you. The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had said would happen. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child, yet I have borne a son in his old age? 
The name Isaac actually means laughter. And what happened was beforehand, God had actually said, I'm going to give you a son and you're going to name him Laughter. I mean, God has a sense of humor. And in this process, what we see take place is this amazing example about how God takes weak links and turns them into the power of grace and mercy. So as we do every week, we like to break down a passage into three different applications. The first is the historical application. You have to understand what about man, what did he do, why did he do it? Then you have to look at the theological. What about God? What did he do? And why did he do it? And only after you've looked at the history of a passage and the theology of a passage can you actually try to apply it devotionally to your life. To try to apply a passage devotionally without understanding the history and the theology runs you into bad application of Scripture. So the history. First thing we see is God makes a covenant with Abraham that all nations will be blessed. That's very simple. God says, I'm going to use you, and you're going to have a kid, and, and this kid's going to be incredible, and we're going to call him laughter. God promises to fulfill the covenant by giving Sarah a son. Sarah doesn't think God can use her to have a son because she is, as she puts it, worn out. I just, first time I read that this week, I just laughed. <laughs> I, I mean, could y'all ever, y'all ever say that about yourselves? I mean, can you imagine, like, Women saying that about themselves. I'm worn out. I can't have a kid. Where were you 20 years ago, God, when I wasn't worn out? Sarah does not believe that God can keep his promise. And she laughs at the prospect of God being able to use her. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. That's silly. It makes me laugh. What she didn't realize was that her weakness was not bigger than God's grace. So that's the history, the history of what's happening here with this passage. Let's look at the theology real quick. God visits Sarah. This is what God does. He visits Sarah and did, did as he says that he would do. And then Abraham is born, and Abraham, or Abraham has a son. Abraham's not born. He was born a long time ago. Isaac is born, and he's named Laughter. It's pretty amazing. And it serves as a reminder to Sarah for the rest of her life that God keeps his promise in spite of her real deficiencies. So now let's get to the fun part. What do we do with this? Weak links are God's specialty. This is where grace gets the most bang for its buck in your life. Do you understand that grace does not operate in human strength? Don't we love grace? Do you guys want grace? Raise your hand. Don't you want grace? Well, it doesn't operate in your strength. It operates in your weakness. Grace operates where you can't. I think far too often we think our deficiencies are too big for God to work in and through our lives. And it's almost, get this now, see if you can understand this. This may seem counterintuitive, but it's almost an arrogant stance about our sin. So arrogant that we think we have something in us that is stronger than God's grace. That our flaws are too big for God's grace. And the promises he makes to us in Ephesians 2 that says he will create good works for you that you shall stumble into. 
Just like the promises he made to Sarah and the good works he prepared for her and Abraham. And it's arrogant to say, you know what? Those are great promises, God, but I am just too weak. I'm spiritually worn out. I'm a weak link. How about this? Instead of arrogantly believing that grace can't overcome your flaws, Paul says what we should do is, this is going to be kind of confusing, but try to stick with me, arrogantly brag about your flaws. Because, see, there's a strange comfort in knowing that God doesn't work because of you. But in reality, through grace, he works in spite of you, in spite of your deficiencies for the benefit of his glory and his plan. And being used by God isn't some result of digging deep within yourself and finding some sort of inner strength to conquer your demons, like that self-help prosperity gospel that's out there. A lot of guys on TV preach it. It's garbage. Grace does not operate in human strength and digging deep. Grace operates in human weakness. It's by digging deep, not identifying your strength and your power, but digging deep and identifying and embracing and even bragging about your weakness, your sin, your deficiency, your flaws. Just how much does God actually work around our weakness? The scripture says we can't even pray. You know, you, I'm a good prayer warrior. I hate that word. I'll be honest with you. Oh, well, you're a better prayer than me because you're a prayer. Really? It's like some people have the gift of prayer. Romans 8:26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I present this to you. If you're good at praying, it's because you suck at praying. You follow me? If you're good at praying, it's because you suck as a prayer person. Because what happens is God's grace works in weakness and creates strength. I love this next verse too. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. I love, this is so powerful. <clears throat> but he said to me, this is Paul talking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast, here's what Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, or bad things happening. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I never experienced this more in my life personally when my daughter Sarah died. In September 25th, it'll be the anniversary of that. And I can tell you, that's a crushing blow to take. And I'm weak. And I could feel God's grace making me strong. Because you see, God gets glory from your weakness as he fulfills his promise that he will use you for his glory just like he did Abraham and just like he did Sarah. How many times have I quoted this passage to you guys? 
I thought I'd put it up there this week so you just know I'm not lying that it's actually in the Bible. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You understand beforehand means before. That we should stumble into. The Greek passage means almost trip over. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should almost basically trip over them. So, I showed this picture to you guys a few months ago, but it wasn't up there very long, so I wanted to bring it back. You know why I talk about my sinfulness up here so much? Almost so much so that it makes some of you uncomfortable. Matter of fact, some of you might think, why is it always about him? (laughs) You can talk about your sin up here if you want. (laughs) Do I see a line? (laughs) It's sort of like how I felt when you guys allowed me to be your lead teaching pastor three years ago. You understand, I had been wounded in church settings several times. It's not because I couldn't do ministry. I was good at the ministry stuff, but I was terrible at church politics. I was a flawed pastor, and I thought that I could never really work in a church again. And it was painful because I loved church people most of the time. But I wasn't good with filters and stuff like that, you know, and I made a lot of errors in talking to people, and I couldn't figure out when people were mad at me. I thought they were just having a bad day. (laughs) And so because of my deficiencies and my flaws, I had hurt people, people had hurt me, and I was in a situation where I wasn't working in a church. And I was doing ministry on my own terms, the nightlife center and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. And then comes this opportunity here at Church of the Palms at the Garden. This is part of this that most of you don't know about. I sought a lot of counsel before I took on this opportunity. And my closest friends and my family and my wife were very skeptical because of how I had fared in the past and how it had wounded me and my family and how I had wounded other people. And it was like, really, Joe? Aren't these people just going to fire you in a ear? And then God used this man named Bruce Hedgepath, one of the pastors here, to convince us that God knew about my weaknesses. And through Bruce's leadership, he was preparing, God was, a good work for me. And three years later, God keeps using my weaknesses and my deficiencies each week. And he gave you a good work, too. Because, listen, putting up with all my little annoying flaws, like saying suck from the pulpit, I don't know why I do it, I just keep doing it. I'm I'm out. But you've been forgiving, you've been tolerant, and only God can make you tolerant of me. And here we are growing together in maturity and in number and in unity three years later. And as far as I know, I still work here. I don't know if I snuck snuck up here. Maybe they don't know I'm here. I don't know. And what is it that I bring to the table, really? I mean, honestly, what is it that I bring to the table as your lead pastor? I bring a lot of stuff that God can use, tons of non-pastor stuff, like a lack of social graces and manners. 
That's a good one I bring to the table, right? A lack of verbal filters, if you know what I mean. I'm really bad in, guys, I am really bad in church meetings. I am so, seriously, ask Megan and Bruce. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Megan and Bruce would give me dirty looks all the time with stuff I say or when I say it. And they're patient. Joe, that's not for now. <laughs> there are tons of things that I bring to the table for me to brag about that show you how much God has to work in my life. And every Sunday, when I leave here after preaching, I just shake my head and I can't believe I get to be here with you every week. Oftentimes I laugh at how God works. Maybe we should just call the garden Isaac. You know, because it makes me laugh. And I'm amazed at just how much grace I need to be effective in this role. Because <clears throat> I'm a broken vessel. I'm worn out. I'm flawed. I'm inconsistent. I'm sinful. So how does that relate to you? <clears throat> Whatever you think that is in you is the weak link that God can't use, you're wrong. In fact, it's that very weakness that manifests just how strong God is in your life because it represents your helpless state outside of God's grace and makes what God is using you to do even more amazing. Some of you are in this building right now, this morning, and you know who you are because there are specific people who are incredibly flawed, who aren't even here this morning, and are a weak link, and God used them to bring you into our family. Some of you are here this morning because God uses weak links, and it's amazing what happens with weak links. See, this is the reality, my friends. You know when you know that you're really, truly starting to understand grace? Listen, I want to make sure that you understand something. We have this preconceived notion, oh, thank God there's grace for my sin. Guys, that's just a fraction of what grace is. It's not about just forgiveness of sin. It's about how it uses you in spite of you in the lives of others, in spite of your own flaws. I got to tell you right now, I am so glad, and I am bragging right now, I am a major weak link. And I am so glad that I'm a weak link because that's where God is strong. If I was a strong link, I'd be a terrible pastor. I really believe that. I'm a weak link. And I don't mind telling you about it every week. Because as a good friend of mine said, another weak link, his name is Tullian. 
dear friend of mine, he says, I've got one bullet and in my, it's in my gun, and it's grace, and I'm going to fire it every week. Because we are weak link, guys. And God loves, loves weak links.